Hello everyone, I'm Mai Hong from the Climate Tracker Network and welcome to the second episode of Climate Tracker Specials Asia as we take a deep dive into the media industry in the region. So do you know that some of Indonesia's largest media conglomerates have financial stakes in the coal mining industry? Or that energy reporting in the Philippines differs drastically between the greater Manila region and the more remote Mindanao? How about the fact that a new government took power in Malaysia in 2018 and ushered in a new era of more liberal press and renewable energy policies? If you want to hear more, we are joined by three Climate Tracker Media Research Fellows, Angelica from the Philippines, Ari from Indonesia, and Nadia from Malaysia. Angelica, Ari, and Nadia toiled for three months to try and answer the question, how are their country's leading outlets reporting on coal and renewables? This is part of Climate Tracker's most ambitious media research project so far, supported by the Stanley Center for Peace and Security. Welcome, Angelica, Ari, and Nadia. How are you all feeling today? I'm feeling good. Thank you. Feeling great. I'm quite energized despite the busy day today because I just finished my work shift. How about you, Nadia? How are you doing? It's been um, a bit um, hectic right now here in Malaysia, especially with the COVID-19 situation. And I'm still at home. Uh, I couldn't go out. So it's a bit um, stifling, you know, not, not having to, you know, go out as usual and as I try to do my work. I hope this online podcast recording section at least gives you a little bit more flavor to your day, despite not being able to go out. Uh, so... In the previous podcast, we have talked about the research process. So I want to jump right into your research findings for Ari, Angelica, and Nadia. Um, I want to hear what is the biggest takeaway from your three months of analysis? I know it's hard to boil down everything that you discovered in just one big takeaway, but go ahead. I would say this is is really baffling for me, is that um, journalists in Malaysia do not have the same um, ideas about what you know energy is like they do they have like this um, the common they do not have the common consensus about what coal is and and they have often isolated this um, idea about coal um, you know with the broader energy uh, you know energy and climate perspectives that is um, you know being um, that is the, the common predominant kind of perspective in, in, in the energy landscape around the world uh, in terms of climate change and etc. So in Malaysia, it has always taken a very dollars and, and, and cents kind of uh, perspective. So I, I, I think this is something that, you know, a lot of uh, NGOs, I come from a, an NGO background. So this could be a something that I can explore with uh, the other, you know, um, organizations on how to improve the understanding of climate, uh, even energy towards uh, to, to journalists. Yeah, I think from a cross regional or cross country perspective, I've definitely seen that business frames dominate in terms of energy reporting in the five Southeast Asian countries part of our study. I'm wondering if Angelica and Ari would agree with this statement. You're definitely right about that, Maya. At least here in the Philippines, some lots of stories about coal and renewable energy are often assigned to business reporters. 
And there are lots of companies and firms that are heavily invested in coal and, ren- and renewables and as well as oil and gas. And oftentimes we have to cover them. That's why um, I guess there is always that economic aspect when talking about coal and renewables. It's just very uh, quite shocking um, when I found out from my media analysis that the climate change angle was only broached once or twice. Angelica, I was wondering if this insight has influenced your work in any way. Well, it has definitely made me more conscious about the things I write about. As journalists and reporters, we are uh, kind of drowning in lots of information, press releases, statements, um, events, and of course, webinars that are happening. And sometimes it can be um, it can be very easy to lose sight of uh, the bigger picture because we're so focused on the details of a certain event. So as much as possible, I try to always include more references in my work, especially if it's about a company that's relate, uh, that invests in coal or renewables. I try to incorporate other sources and try to frame it in a, in a climate change perspective because that's where we're all heading to. Yeah, and um, it really depends on whether my editor will publish it or not, but that's what I try to do in all of my energy stories. For me personally, among the key takeaways of my research, I think the biggest one for me is the comparative result of how coal was framed in Indonesia and compared to how it was framed in other Southeast Asian countries, included in this research. So in Indonesia, coal was framed extremely positive. So for me, it's like surprising. So Ari, can you give us a little bit of background on what the coal situation is like in Indonesia and why you know, the reporting might be more positive as a result of that? Currently, the energy mix composition in Indonesia is like, about 67% coal, 12% is renewable energy. It's still big. Uh, The domestic consumption actually not a lot, but of course it's contributed the biggest part of energy mix in Indonesia currently. That's why um, we depend, I mean, Indonesia depends a lot on coal uh, for energy as well as the economy, right? I think that's what differs Indonesia from these other countries in our research as well. Um, Indonesia is a big coal exporter. Yes, it's true. We are the biggest producer, but we are not the top cons- uh, consumer of coal. That's what a frame uh, media uh, give to the coal in terms of carbon emission. Angelica, when we were looking at your report, um, I think especially now that I'm um, doing more comparative analysis between the different countries, we're seeing that actually in Philippines, um, the number of coal articles that have a negative frame is larger than what would be expected given how much the Philippines is also pretty dependent on coal. Um, so were you surprised when you found this? Although there were really, really few environment stories, meaning that uh, stories that were framed in an environmental angle um, in my report, there were lots of cool stories. Uh, The bulk of them were 
were actually criticized as being environmental and health hazards. And this was across all uh, outlets um, because I analyzed three mainstream media outlets and two regional outlets. So across all outlets, coal was seen as environmental and health hazards. And many of these stories actually use the environmental frame saying that it was dirty, destructive, and harmful com- to communities. Passing it on to you, Nadia, I was wondering what finding in your research did you find surprising? One of the most uh, su- you know, surprising um, thing that I found is that solar is predominantly told in a very, very positive framing. I do not expect that because, you know, uh, in my line of work, I know that Malaysia's uh, coal power plant or, or coal ambition is still on the rise and it has been on the rise for the past few, you know, few years. And um, with the COVID-19 situation, uh, this pandemic does not diminish that. In fact, more conventional fossil fuels are favorable. And this is supported by um, many industry players. Um, most of all, Kazana, which is uh, Malaysia's um, you know, well, wealth uh, sovereign fund. And um, however, uh, the media has taken a very, I would say, optimistic view um, so they are really towing the line, um, you know, uh, with uh, what the the government has been, you know, uh, you know, sharing through their press releases and everything. And I found it um, a bit misguided, um, partly because um, I've been questioning whether are they telling um, the story from the reality point of view, or is it just, you know, um, them um, um, telling the stories in in verbatim. So um, there, I was uh, really a bit disappointed that there isn't a lot of uh, in-depth kind of analysis. And this has been supported by some of the journalists as well. They have admitted that. But um, this is partly due to many things like uh, PR constraints and all the sort of things. And there's, there's also um, the point where information such as this is not readily available uh, for for people especially for for journalists to to uh, delve a bit deeper um, and it's protected by the um, official secret act etc so um, I I found it um, you know th- these are some of the biggest I would say obstacle and uh, uh, it's really disappointing especially uh, Malaysia where coal is um, you know, more than uh, half of the energy mix that we are seeing right now and, and most of them. And we are also some of the largest uh, coal um, importer in, in Southeast Asia and 63% of them comes from Indonesia. So um, these are, you know, troubling news, I, I find. Yeah, so just to be clear, you're hoping that there would be more coverage and more critical coverage of coal in Malaysia um, and also more in-depth analysis of solar and renewables as opposed to just, you know, overly rosy outlook, right? Indeed, indeed. I, I think, um, in fact, I think that, that there should be, you know, a, a move away from this uh, traditional conventional way of telling energy stories in terms of business. I know that because Malaysia is, is a, a developing country still and um, most of our exports still relies, uh, we, we, we export, you know, petroleum, we export oil and gas. 
So that is really one of the you know largest proportion of our GDP every year. So we are highly reliant, not only because you know we are using it, but also because we are selling it to others. But I think that there should be you know some sort of like a a more um, to to give the story some sort of like a hu- human face. You know, not in terms of profit, but also what would happen. How does this impact? Uh, humans, how does this impact our lives, our health, and etc. And and is it sustainable in the future? Uh, and it ha- should be told in this kind of uh, elements as well. So instead of seeing the the renewable targets every single time, we should definitely delve deeper into the human aspects. Right, it's definitely a common hope for all of us involved in the media research and the energy story in the region as well. Um, but I'm wondering if um, this is an open question for everyone. Did you see in your research any exemplary article that maybe um, has tried to shift the narrative a little bit and highlight other aspects um, than just the traditional business story? I came across this special report um, it is actually an investigative and in-depth report. The report is titled Solar-Powered Irrigation System. Proposed solution fails to serve farmers in the time of El Nino. Um, it was written by Keith Bakonko. It really details the hardships of farmers who depended and who had hopes that the government solar-powered irrigation system would help them in the time of the dry season, but um, the story also focused on um, accountability from government officials who might have had a hand in the project, but they weren't able to deliver. It's very interesting because Mindanews, well, at least this Mindanews writer used the locals versus government angle to cover a government-backed renewable project. And the total cost actually, the total cost for this project was actually 38.7 million pesos. So that's a really huge amount. What's really interesting is that this is one of the stories that focused on solar. And in our country, in the Philippines, geothermal is actually the most abundant renewable resource here. Yeah. And but the thing is, and solar is actually solar actually takes up a zero point two percent only based on our twenty fifteen energy mix. So it's so it, it's very interesting to see lots of solar stories here, such as this one, such as this special report and other renewable reports as well. Because um, just for background, there were so there there was a lot of renewable uh lots of solar stories like more than half of the renewable stories were actually about solar projects. Yeah, I think solar is the most covered renewable and the most covered energy topic in general across uh, all of the countries that we study, um, which is certainly a very striking uh, commonality um, in our research. So I wanted to ask the same question for Ari. Ari, did any article in your research stand out as, you know, an interesting case of more in-depth analysis or something that energy reporting in the region should aim towards? title of the story is RE growth rate in Indonesia is the highest in the world. So if this story was published by liputanam.com, so the story highlighted 
Indonesia high biofuel growth rate under the mandatory of B20 program. And then framed it as a pillar of renewable energy development. Even though biofuel itself generated from palm oil, of course, it's not necessarily carbon neutral. But it's not only the thing this story highlighted. It's also highlighted the story, um, the progress of geothermal installation, which together with Turkey and Kenya, these three countries, Indonesia, Turkey, and Kenya, contributed third four of the new installation of geothermal globally. So, of course, and it's all, they made this story based on a global report from a think thing called REN21, and also quoted a direct and indirect quote of executive director of this think tank. So if, if we just read at glance this story, uh, maybe it like give very, very uh, a good hope for Indonesia. Don't you think it could be a little bit misleading to do it this way as well? Because, uh, you know, in terms of other RE forms like solar and wind, uh, Indonesia is very far from being the country with the highest growth rate in the region or the world. Um, so do you think that title's ability to inspire people outweigh the potential misleadingness of framing it that way? You know, I think if they just pick out the most interesting thing from the report of RN21, and make a kind of clickbait. <laughs> At any rate, I think that article is a very nuanced case because it is commendable in how it talks about a more big picture view rather than just the business interest or this particular you know, coal project going online. Um, it stands out in talking about the big picture changes and an energy transition. Um, and also talking about less covered, lesser covered renewable types like geothermal, right? Um, but then again, mm -hmm. there's the downside of it being too, um, a little bit sensationalist and rather misleading in the title. <laughs> yeah, so, <laughs> the title right. especially. Right. So if you can have the one without the latter, that would be really an ideal article. <laughs> Um, but yeah, how about Nadia? I think there's a number of articles that really took me by surprise, but maybe one of them um, kind of stood out. There's this one article. The, the title of the article is Malaysian Banks Lending to Coal Sector Under Scrutiny. It was written, I think, earlier this year during March. So, which was... Uh, the, the initial kind of framing that they took was to criticize Malaysian banks for coal financing. I mean, first of all, um, coal financiers' coverage is a rarity here in Malaysia, uh, especially when they are Malaysians, uh, Malaysian banks in particular. And criticizing them is, yeah, like I said, even more rare. And um, the fact that the source actually comes from Market Forces, which is an Australian-based climate activist group, 
um, a think tank, perhaps, uh, that uh, scrutinizes uh, financial institutions, it made it more even baffling for me. Um, and um, because uh, when I did the, the, the uh, content analysis, I found that um, the sources uh, most um, you know, journalists use are from business reps, uh, followed by national government representatives and industry experts. So this is reflective of the um, uh, um, dominant business kind of money narrative of the energy discourse here. And um, even what I found really interesting is that um, based from this market, uh, what is it called? Market forces report, the author, after scrutinizing the banks, um, tried to challenge the, 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 the narrative, um, you know, tried to hold these banks uh, accountable. Uh, so she made an attempt to contact all the banks uh, representatives to get their angle of the, the report. And I found this flow of writing really interesting. So I think we definitely covered a lot of ground here in terms of your research findings and outstanding trends. Um, now I want to transition a little bit to the last point of the discussion, which is what is one thing that you would like to see change in your country? I've been thinking about this for quite some time. It would be nice and it would be of help to news organizations and to all energy reporters here in the Philippines if we could collectively write a Philippine energy reporting guide detailing the best practices on how energy stories are supposed to be reported and maybe dissecting a few really good articles on what angle the story was framed in and or like the sources and how the person is able to get those sources. I mean, uh, as a new energy reporter, it's so easy to rely on press releases and statements because technically the information is already there. But um, it would really be nice to re look at and read stories from other outlets in depth and to study them. I think that's a really great suggestion. I think some few, I think two of the, the, the journalists or editors that I interviewed actually uh, came up with that kind of uh, suggestion, recommendations really. And, um, but they, they also say that all, all this kind of information, sometimes reading takes time. <laughs> reading takes time. And uh, they, they think participating in some sort of like um, a workshop or a national convention for journalists that includes, you know, um, you know, energy reporting uh, would or this would be really beneficial. Um, I think um, some of them also have uh, recommended um, to to have um, all this uh, glossary of words uh, to put it up uh, not as a book but as a as the website and put it up uh, somewhere and and. I think um, there are some few um, journalists, not not necessarily energy, but but uh, journalist groups um, over in in Facebook that has initiated this. But I do not know what the status are. But putting it up online gives more gives a better access um, to you know to to everyone, and even um, journalists can contribute to this. It's it's like a, a Wikipedia off you know uh, and it, it will be really interesting I think one thing that I really want to see I think I want mainstream media just 
discover more insightful stories, you know, about energy, just like local media or non-commercial media are doing right now in Indonesia. Those are all amazing suggestions, you guys. And I wish I could spend a whole day talking to you about potential action plans for the future of energy reporting in the region. But we are running out of time, unfortunately. And we also have a separate event just to talk about the action plan. It's coming up on November 30th. It's a webinar happening at 7 p.m. Indochina time. So please join us if you're interested in hearing more about these future steps. But for now, I'm going to hand it over to the researchers um, to say one final couple of words to the audience. Um, maybe one idea that I'd like to leave to everyone listening to this podcast is please find the time to read your electricity bills. Um, energy security Energy security affects all of us. The first step to being more aware of the energy situation in your country is by knowing how much electric companies are charging you and your family. Do everything you can do to support the energy transition, even as simple as searching and information about what energy transition is. Well, I think from me, I think that uh, this goes out to all of the journalists um, who's listening uh, or, or any of the editors that is listening to this podcast. Uh, I would like to, you know, um, assure you that, you know, the climate, you know, reporting here in Malaysia is still very limited. I know that some of the information it's not often available, but I think through collaboration, through sharing of data, especially during COVID-19, uh, we can definitely cover things in a simpler way. Thank you, everyone. And that's it for this episode. This is Mai Huang for Climate Tracker Specials Asia. And if you want to read our wonderful fellows' research, you can find them on our website. And for comments, suggestions, and feedback, please email us at podcast at climatetracker.org. Hope you can join us again next time.